Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen. Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life. Hello, everyone. This is Peter and Kristen coming to you from our Maryland homestead. Yes, we have a very exciting podcast today. We're going to talk about uh, processing chickens and turkeys and how to do it and what to do with them right. after you've processed them. I found out when I'm talking to people, especially in places like work, that I say processing turkeys or processing chickens instead of saying butchering it chickens. Sounds, it sounds better. Yeah, than I think butchering. it's, <laughs> it's my history coming through. I just feel awkward in an office being like, well, I killed a chicken. Yeah, know? right. Yeah. So Harvesting. I say processed or harvest. Yes, it sounds a lot better. So we have wrapped up all of our construction projects that we talked about last time. It was right. a lot of little, thank goodness. Yeah, a lot of last minute details, and I'm so glad that we didn't that we got it all finished instead of letting that just kind of hang over us. And we just Pete knocked it out in a day. He did all the trim and crown molding and all that. And yeah, anyone who's ever done projects like this realizes you spend a lot of time in the last twenty percent of things. It's yeah, and it's all easy. the little pieces of trim and painting. Yeah, and it's easy to like. Just let that go, but we wrapped it all up, and my son was like, "Yay! Are we going to be able to eat real food again?" Because <laughs> we've been just, yeah. you know, working in the. A lot of the project has been done in the kitchen, so we're ready to get back right. to our old lifestyle. And too much pizza and pasta. Yes, definitely. Um, so it was funny that he noticed that when he was excited right. to get back to real food. I don't know about right. the others as much, but um, anyway, I think they're happy with pizza and pasta. <laughs> I know, gross. So anyway. Now we're going to talk about the homesteading stuff. We're back to homesteading. So um, the past two weekends, actually, so we last Saturday and yesterday, this past Saturday, we, we did it in two rounds, harvesting our chickens and our turkeys. So we have, I don't know, why don't you take over? Right. So when, when we got the chickens, this was something that, you know, kind of like vaguely aware of that at some point they're going to reach their end of life and we need to do something for them because a chicken is going to lay eggs really well for a couple years yeah, and they, then it's going yeah. to start to drop off. But the chicken can last for a really long time. I mean, right. they can live for, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years. And through most of that, they're not going to really be laying many eggs. Right. So. At that point, we don't really want a whole bunch of old chickens. You know, oh, you're just feeding them feeding and watering them. them and yeah, no, they, they still do a lot on the homestead because they're eating bugs and providing fertilizer. So they have a lot more uses than just eggs. But we really want eggs. So Right. Well, and I want to say something really quickly, yep. if you don't mind. Our, if we, when we look at our podcast numbers, one of our highest podcasts is the podcast about keeping chickens. And I think so many people are interested in keeping chickens. It's just so, it's just such a great reward to have these fresh, highly nutritious eggs. Um, and it's a great animal to have around your property. Right. And you can have chickens, you know, even on very small properties. Yeah. It's, and I mean, they're, People are keeping them in the city in urban, little urban neighborhoods and everything. But and I think it's the absolute best way to compost too. Right, so. but it's so important to understand what to do with those chickens once they've stopped laying. Right. Apparently, this is a thing where people get chickens and then they want to try and find homes for them and things. You know, get all excited about chickens. You have them for a couple of years and then and they just don't want to do that last step. Yeah. Well, someone actually told me that there's a problem in Baltimore with chickens running around because people just don't know what to do with their chickens once they stop laying eggs. Right. So this is really important. So this right. is a big and part. And as a meat eater, I kind of, I felt like it was my responsibility to know what it was like to be 
processing my meat, butchering mm-hmm. my meat as well. Right. And so we've had, every time we've gotten chickens, we've had too many roosters. So we've gone through this one or two birds at a time in the past where, you know, we didn't, we only wanted one rooster because after that it just starts to be a little too much noise and they wear out the hens. Right. Um, so we've done it a couple times and I, <laughs> I'm somebody who feels things strongly, you know, so I went, I killed the first uh, rooster the first time and it was really hard. It was really, I mean, it, I just felt very, very sad afterwards. And my son was there and he kind of watched and he was crying and it was <laughs> like, you know, you thank the rooster for his life and then, and then it's over. And, um, it was very, very sad. And fortunately that kind of <laughs> experience isn't quite as sad after you do it a few times, mm-hmm. you realize that, um, a chicken is, you know, has its own dignity at its own level, but it's also just a chicken and it becomes a little bit norm- more normal. Now, the other problem was the first couple times I, I butchered them, that was the first time I'd ever butchered anything and it took forever. You know, mm-hmm. I'm watching YouTube videos and then I, it just, it took like an hour to butcher one chicken and afterwards my, my back like hurt because I was tense and bent over the whole time and it's being like, this is a terrible experience. So I started to dread it. You know, mm-hmm. I had done it, I think like three times before this last and it was, it's just be like, oh, I, I really don't want to do this. Yeah, and you it's were only doing chore. them. You were doing them one at a time. This is our first time that we've had that we've really harvested a whole flock. So right. you were just doing them one at a time, and it was it took so long that you were dreading doing the whole flock. Right. So we went through fifteen birds this time. So it was a lot more, and I was wondering, you know, how am I going to make this happen? So last. Um, sorry, really quickly to interrupt mm-hmm. you. While you said you said you said something that YouTube videos. For people who are the kind of people that learn by watching something, what are some good people that you recommend to watch? Oh, I don't know. I I, I watched several of them to Just, get a different feel because everybody has their own little way that they do it. And so for me, my learning style was uh, the first couple times I literally had the phone next to me while I was doing it so I could watch every little step and then do it. It took forever. (laughs) I don't know. You just get through it. Uh, This last time I kind of watched a couple videos and I already had it in my mind, Mm -hmm. the basic steps. And and then I took some, I did things differently this last time and sped it up. For me, the good news was by the time I did a few of them, they were taking like five, six minutes a bird. Right. And I'm not that experienced. So um, I'll, I'll share the hints that really were effective for me, right. uh, especially for birds. We're, ta- we're not talking about oven roaster chickens here. These are not Cornish cross 45-day-old chickens. These are right. laying hens that are two to three years old. Yeah, so they're birds, not great they're meat birds. You no. know? They call them, like Rhode Island Reds, they call them dual-purpose birds, which meant that they're egg layers and meat chickens. That was probably true like 40 years ago. <laughs> when you say meat bird now, you're talking about the Cornish cross chicken, and it's it's nothing like any other chicken it's that we've young, had. It's young. Its meat is not tough. You kill them. Right. Not, you sorry, You harvest them after about, what, three months or something? So they're they're just not as... Not even three months. Yeah, oh, okay. 45 to So these days. are two-year-old, three-year-old birds. Yeah. Three-year-old birds. So they're right. just... And there's tough. a couple other meat varieties out there that are more heritage, but the dual-purpose birds, in my mind, are really just egg layers. Yes. Um... So we harvested them, but yeah, the the meat is going to be very tough, so it limits the ways that you're going to be able to cook it. 
you're not making, you know, fried chicken out of these. It's just mm-hmm. there's not that much meat and it's really tough. Chicken so. salad, stews, but Right. I, I love chicken salad, so that's what I did with ours. You know, yeah. we put it in the Instapot, and we'll talk about all that later. Yeah, I mean, so. the thing I really want to focus on is broth with, with these birds. They're just so great for broth, and broth is so good for you. So I'll talk about that after you talk about how to harvest them. Okay, great. So. Okay, so the first thing you do is separate your chickens, which is really important. I learned that the hard way because if you don't separate them from their food, then they're going to be full of food when you go to butcher them, and that's mm-hmm. not a great experience. Right. So the night before, I picked out – I waited till they were roosting, and then that was nice because it was easy for me to pick out the older ones. Well, hold on, because that was my idea, right? Yeah. Because usually we chase them around the next the day before. Yeah. So that's not as good to chase – have to chase them in the day. But at nighttime when they roost, they're just really – like sleepy and they just let you do kind of whatever you can pick them up and so I picked up this was last weekend I did six of them so I picked out six that I knew were the really older ones and we're holding on to one as a pet (laughs) we we watched this little chick hatch it was our very first chicken and we're kind of attached to it so hazel the head okay hold on we are kind of because I suggested let's get rid of hazel Um, not I could do it. I was going to. I was like, okay, we'll get rid of Hazel. And then I went in and I like looked at her and I was like, this is our pet chicken. We can't get rid of her. <laughs> we watched her hatch and got a video of her yeah. hatching and it was really sweet and cute. And she's way more peaceful than all the other birds. So I, I just like her a lot. Oh, so okay. <laughs> she's our pet chicken because I don't think she lays eggs anymore. Okay. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Hazel stayed... But the rest of them, I grabbed the older chickens. I just put them in a different barn stall. You know, it's just, uh, it's easy then to separate them and the rest of them, I could keep the feed with them. We just keep the feed with the chickens chickens all the time. We don't, we don't feed them like once a day or something. Um, so I separated them, which is really good because then whatever's in their system over the next, you know, 12 to 14 hours is going to clear itself out, uh, <laughs> which again, that's very helpful when you go to butcher them. So, mm-hmm. um, Separated them, and then I had this is a second thing for somebody who's tall like me is I have a table that's nice and tall, so it's like countertop size, and I realized that's really nice when you go to do this not to be bent over the whole time because mm-hmm. it just it starts to wear your back out a little bit. So I have a nice tall table, and then the third thing is. When you hang a chicken upside down, the blood goes to their head. They kind of just relax a lot. Uh, They don't mind being upside down for whatever reason. So the easiest way to then process them, (laughs) to butcher them, is to have them upside down. So they call what's, it's called a kill cone. And you'll see like stainless steel varieties. But my whole deal is that I don't want to be purchasing things when I don't really know what I want my setup to be. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to buy those and you know, I figured I'll want them in the future. But anyway, just as a rule of thumb, I try and do things without buying stuff first. Then once I know what I'm doing, then I buy the right material. So I didn't want to buy those yet. So I have big plastic pots that some of our trees came in. So the larger size plastic pots, and they're kind of just throw away, but I've held on to them in case I wanted to plant stuff in them. And uh, I took a couple of those and cut the bottoms out of them, cut a slit through it so that it was no longer connected and kind of wrapped it up in a cone shape and taped it together. So I just made my own. They work totally fine. Um, it'd be nicer to have the stainless steel ones just because I think they, they contain the chicken a little better. But Hold on. Did you like tape it or something? How yeah, did you I taped do it? it. Oh, okay. I just, um, you know, used duct tape and kind of mm. taped it together. Very creative. And then uh, 
positioned the board so that it was hanging up about four feet tall and just screwed that to the board. So again, this wasn't, this was kind of just, uh, you know, I, I positioned the board on a ladder. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to have a, a real setup for this that's going to be a little bit more legitimate, but I wanted to know how it all would work well before I, before I installed that. So I just had this one kind of jerry rigged together. Um, and then you put the chicken in there, pull its head through, and then you cut the throat and the chicken will bleed out. I have a barn stall and I just put a bunch of wood chips under it because I use wood chips for everything. So the chickens and turkeys just bled right into the wood chips. I figured it'll be, you know, great for fertilizer one day. Well, that, you did that when it was raining, but when it wasn't raining, you just do it outside. Right. I think I'd rather do it inside because, um, I don't know. It just, it was very convenient. It's more controlled in there and it's a, it's a barn stall. So it's kind of half inside, half outside. Right. Uh, in this case it was raining out. So that was really nice to do it that way. Right. They bled into the wood chips and those are just going to sit there for a while and then I'll use them as fertilizer eventually. So once that happened, we realized that plucking is the hardest part. Mm -hmm. So normally what you would do without a chicken picker, that's what they call them, not a chicken plucker, they're called chicken picker. (laughs) So without one of those, like those pluck the feathers really easy, but without that, you're you're left doing it by hand and it takes a long time, like a really long time. Mm -hmm. You scald them in a a big pot of water first and so the the feathers come out very easily, but it's still, there's just a lot of them and you want to get them all. Right. And so that takes forever well, and if you want to do meat, like a lot of meat birds, one video that we watched was um, the one guy with a lot of meat birds. Yeah. They have this huge, what you call it, the feather plucker. Yeah, Justin Rhodes has a really nice yeah, video. Yeah, and you just throw the chicken in there, and then it just kind yeah, of... Yeah, 30 seconds later. Right, so if you were done. doing meat birds, where you really, I would definitely suggest... Right. and we might do that one day. Yeah. We have a thought about having a chicken tractor, you know, with pasture birds going mm-hmm. through the forest garden. But anyway, that would be a couple years away so we don't want to do that. And again, we're not worried about these birds being perfect meat birds. Like mm-hmm. we want to get the meat off of them, but then mostly we want to use them for broth because that's what they're incredible for. And they're mm-hmm. way better than a normal chicken for broth. Mm-hmm. So the easiest thing then was to skin them. And that's the trick that I did this time that saved all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you can look a video up on that. It's a hundred times easier because you're not bringing out this pot of water and scalding them and then picking all these feathers off, um, you're able to, to just, you know, make a slit, cut off a couple, you know, the ends of the wings, and then you can basically peel the skin off of the whole chicken. So sorry if that's really gross for people. (laughs) That's how it works. Yeah. Well, anyway, it, but I just want to say you did pluck all the chicken turkeys because when you want them for like a meat bird, you do you don't want to skin it. Yeah. The turkeys are going to be big oven roaster birds. So in that case, we brought out a big pot of water and I was just doing four of them. So for the scalding temperature, you want it to be at like 150. I started doing the birds at 170 because I knew it would cool down mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't want to reheat it. So I had a big pot of, of hot water. I put the first turkey in at 170. That was still totally fine. It, you know, the skin wasn't damaged or anything. And then um, you just dunk them in there for like 30 seconds, maybe 40 whatever. I didn't, I didn't stop watch it. I, I dunked them in there for a little bit <laughs> mm-hmm. and then pulled them out. By the time I did the fourth one, the water was down to 150. So, um, that worked perfectly. And then the feathers pretty much rub off except for the very big wing feathers. Right. So the funny thing with the turkey was 
I went into the barn stall to grab them. I, we had already done the chickens. My friend came over, my friend Trevor, and it was so much fun to have somebody there doing this with me. Last weekend, I did, the, I did six chickens by myself, and then we did the other nine birds, the turkeys and the chickens, yesterday, and he came over, and that was just a lot of fun to have somebody there and not, not just be doing it myself. Yeah, but. our friend Trevor is a hunter, so this kind of thing is, and he processes his own deer and everything. Right. So this kind of thing is really... Uh, Right up his alley yeah, or whatever he's you very say. comfortable with it. Comfortable, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> he's comfortable with it. So <laughs> it, it's just great to have a friend there doing it with you because it's a lot of it's a lot of work. Yeah. So but anyway, I went into this this barn stall to grab the turkey, and another one of them just flew right out the door. <laughs> There's a little opening and it flew right through it, and then the dog kind of chased it, and Trevor was chasing it all the way to the end of the barn, and then it flew up on the cow's door the the barn the stall door and the cows were inside because it's just been raining like crazy here and I think they got sick of being outside so they were just hanging out in the barn stall <laughs> and staring at this turkey and I'm like oh no this thing's gonna fly out into the pasture and I wasn't worried about it flying away this was something where the turkeys got attached to the chickens early on the new flock of chickens so they think they're all one flock even though they're massively bigger than the chickens and that's why we've we've been able to have these pasture raised turkeys because they just wander around with the chickens and you know they could fly far away because they're such good flyers but they don't i'm like oh man this thing's gonna fly out into the pasture and i won't be able to get it back until it comes into roost tonight so anyway i ran around through the outside of the cow's stall and the cows are wondering what's going on and then I lunge at the turkey right as it's trying to take off to fly away again and grabbed it by its its <laughs> legs and she was making a break for it yeah she was making a break for <laughs> it so well yeah you can't blame her anyway we we're able to then I just had a bigger kill cone for the turkeys because they're a much larger bird and uh, you, other than that, it was pretty much the same thing as the chickens. So okay. the chickens, we only defeathered the turkeys because, again, with, with the laying hens, who cares? Like, it, it just wasn't worth preserving all of that. Mm-hmm. So we, I skinned those instead, which was 100 times easier. And then you move on to having to get all of the insides out. Right. So, you know, most animals are a complete system from your mouth all the way to your butt. I mean, that's how your digestive system is kind of a separate system in and of itself to your body um, because your body doesn't want to intermingle all of that digesting and decaying food with all of the other systems in your body. So it's a complete, if you can think about it, it's just a complete system from mouth to butt. And the idea is to get all of that out without rupturing it because there's a Mm. lot of you know, (laughs) bad, you know, bacteria and all kinds of things going on inside of there. So you want to get the whole thing out without rupturing it because then that could contaminate the meat. Um, I don't know how serious that is. Just, it's not that hard to not rupture it if you're careful. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't want to find out how serious it was. Right. So you watch a video on that. And again, if you're not worried about having a perfect bird at the end, you're able to kind of cut a couple corners and open the bird up quicker, get it, get the opening wider, and then just, uh, just cut it right out. This, Sorry, when, like, can you describe that? Did you use scissors? Like you, you open up, where do you open right, up the You just bird? need a really sharp knife. I ended up using a utility knife because the blades are really easy to replace and you just have a very super sharp razor blade. And that was perfect uh, for me. 
And I didn't have to worry about if I was cutting through a bone or something that would dull your knife, but mine is a utility knife. So who cares? Where did you open the chicken? Okay. So the first thing you do is you cut off the end section of the wing because that's going to be really hard. You're not going to be able to, to skin the turkey at that point. It's just attached too tightly to the wing and it's not worth it to get that last section of the wing. So I just cut that off with some snips, came right off, and then you cut the legs off right at the joint. So you kind of just slice through the skin and the tendons there. And then I use the snips to, you know, you kind of break it with your hand and then uh, use the snips to cut it off the rest of the way. So now it's without, it's the end of its wings and it's without its feet. And then you kind of flip it over on its back and find where the end of the rib cage is. And there's just a bunch of like skin there. So you kind of pull up the skin and and just get a nice slice through the skin. And then you, you get your fingers in there and kind of just tear it back. And at that point, you just, you know, you just tear the skin off and uh, and pull it off of the legs, pull it off of the rest of the wings. Um, you pull it up around the neck and then you can kind of just cut the neck and a whole big section of it falls off. And at that point, it looks like a chicken you'd buy in the store, which which is really nice because it doesn't look like you're... Uh, you know, your feathered chicken with a head on it anymore. It just looks like the chicken you'd be buying in the store anyway. And it, it's it's this weird dichotomy of butchering things sounds very gross to all of us, even though we're omnivores and we eat meat all the time. But we go into a grocery store and there's carcasses of animals everywhere in there. And that's very normal to us because we grew up with it. So it's weird, right? As soon as you see a chicken looking like a chicken carcass, you know, just the meat, it's like I mean, you get very comfortable with that. It'd be like, oh, well, this is just a normal thing that you buy in the grocery store and you're, you're used to chopping it up. And so people are actually used to butchering the very end, you know, cutting yeah. a chicken, roasting a chicken, cutting it all apart. Right. Eating meat off of bones, like we're we're actually very comfortable with all of this stuff. Right. It's just that initial stage that seems very strange to us. So right, and and if you really want to do um, chickens, don't. And this probably sounds really intimidating. This would have sounded really intimidating to us a couple of years ago because we grew up in you know in the suburbs. We we have no experience with this whatsoever. But this really is something that you can learn, and it is really doable. Right, right. That's true. That's true. So, um, okay. So now you have a de-skinned chicken. You go back to where the rib cage, uh, meets the chicken and you can, um, slice through. There's a very thin layer of, of flesh there and you can slice through that. And then that's where you got to be careful and just nick it a little bit because you don't want to cut into the guts. That would not be terrific. Uh, so you, you make a little sliver there and then the safe thing is to use your hands and you can kind of just tear it at that point. You get your fingers in there, you tear it, and then you literally put your hand into the chicken, uh, along the rib cage and kind of just push your hand up in there and it detaches everything. So that complete system, that complete digestive system actually detaches incredibly easy from the rest of the animal. So you can just use your hand to do that. You pull it all out. And now it's only attached at the bottom um, where the butt is. And you kind of just cut around that uh, so the entire thing falls out without ever having to cut into it. Um, mm. Wow. And it's interesting. Like, it's really neat at that point. You can you can make out the livers and the heart, and a lot of people save those. People save Wait, the gizzards. Wait, didn't Trevor take the... Those parts? Yeah. So the hardest muscle in a chicken is the gizzard. This is this 
this other digestive area and it's incredible. So he cut one open and it's filled with pebbles, which is remarkable. So chickens need to have a certain amount of grit, they call it, oh, in their right. diet, right. Uh, which people add when they have totally uh, con- confined chickens right. because they need that. We don't worry about it because they're out on the pasture and they can pick up grit wherever it naturally is. Right. But that just means small pebbles. So chickens actually eat small pebbles. Those pebbles lodge themselves in the gizzard and all the food goes through there and the food is digested by by being smashed up by pebbles. Wow. So it's incredible. Amazing. So so chickens can eat like really hard seeds and things like that and they digest them wow. because the, the, the pebbles kind of... Well, you know, what was Trevor going to do with the insides? I should have asked him. With those, he had like well, the- people do different things with them. You you know, you can use them as fish bait. Oh, uh, people, not so much around here, but but people will cook that up. You know, mm-hmm. a liver is a pretty healthy part of any animal. Oh, so yeah. you can cook cook up the livers. You can cook up the heart. Um, I'm not so into all of that, you know. <laughs> we're not there yet. I gave some to the dog. They were kind of... Oh, I will say, so I kept on... I'll talk about my part in this later, but I kept going down to check on things, and the dogs were just hanging out during the whole butchering process, and I could not believe how good they were. Yeah. I thought Bella was going to like take over and run away with all the chickens right. and turkeys, but she did great. Yeah. She growled a couple times whenever she got a hold of something that yeah, she, she has, claimed for her own. But. Livestock guardian dogs have have terrible food aggression. It's just kind of part of... The, the Merima, they've... Yeah. So I was, like, ready to see her attack, but... No, she... Right. I don't... Yeah, she just likes to growl a little. And, yeah, right. Anyway, so... Her stop. So back to the butchering. Right. So at that point, um, put it in a, in a cooler full of cold water. Just get the temperature down on it real quick to... To kind of keep bacteria from from growing, and right. then uh, hand it off to chicken, or hand it off to Kristen. <laughs> chicken, you can call me chicken. Everything's chicken. <laughs> hand it off to Kristen, who took it out to the house and and yeah. finished uh, just washing it real nicely in the sink. Right. Well, I want to talk about a couple things. So, so that's the butchering process, and yeah. I think from if I were you, if I just heard that, I would never be able to do it. I think, it, but watching a video, I think would be that's what really got you educated on how to do it yeah um and then just being willing to try you know and do it badly like Mm -hmm. i did it very badly the first few times when i was just doing a rooster it wasn't till this past weekend that it felt very comfortable and it felt like oh this isn't that big a deal when it comes time to butcher the chickens every year it's it's not going to be that right it's not a huge thing hanging over me right so um real quick so that's the butchering process i want to talk a little bit about why doing pasture raised turkeys and then i want to go into how i use these birds um for bone broth and how to make bone broth which is really good for you so i really wanted to do turkeys this year because i had this you know me and my dreams and visions of farm life i wanted to have i saw at a farm one of those huge turkeys with the really huge turkey tail things. Yeah, they're beautiful. And it was the coolest looking thing. It was huge. And it was like in all the story books that I read the kids, because we get, we love reading Thanksgiving books and, you know, all the beautiful art with all these turkeys and the pilgrims. So I really wanted, yeah. walking around our property around Thanksgiving, I wanted some real cool looking turkeys. So we ordered heritage breeds. Right. So Pete, can you talk about the difference between heritage breeds and uh, other breeds of right. turkeys? Right. Well, first off with with turkeys, like with most birds, the males are the prettier ones. Right. With humans, the females are the prettier ones. Uh-huh. With males, uh, with, with, with turkeys and, and chickens, the males are prettier. Right. Um, 
So anyway, when you see pictures, it's generally the male turkeys walking around. Right. So the females are still really pretty too, though. They have, they have these big, huge feathers. And heritage turkey breeds just means these were the meat turkey breeds, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 mm-hmm. years ago. These were the right. ones that our forefathers were raising for meat. Now, since then, they've got some breeds that way outdo those as far as how much meat they goes on. And that's what they're generally raising in the stores. But right. the heritage breeds are going to take longer to get full size, and then they're not going to be quite as big. Right, right. So I wanted the heritage one for the look. I love I love beauty and cool things oh, like that. Oh, and some of the heritage breeds are incredible the way they look. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, But the problem was we ordered them too late, and we could only get straight run, which means you can't shoot. You get... You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to get a male or a female. So we got all females. So I didn't have that beautiful like turkey walking around as the same way. But right. maybe next year or this coming year we'll be able to get them. The other thing we did wrong was we had the idea to do turkeys in August. And we thought it would be enough time by November to have them for Thanksgiving. But they took a lot longer. So they took- Yeah, I don't know why we thought that. Because <laughs> even, the, even the new breeds, the bronze-breasted and white-breasted, take five months to get full. Yeah, for some size. reason we thought, or maybe we thought at least they could walk around around Thanksgiving. Yeah. So we didn't get to have them for Thanksgiving. If we want them, but we do want them for next Thanksgiving. So we're going to have to get them in, what, June? May or early June. Yes. So... You want them to be like five, six months. Right. Um, and we Heritage th- breeds are going to be probably closer to six months. If yeah. you get a bronze-breasted or white-breasted, you can do those in five or even a little earlier. So Pete wants to do the what, the bronze-breasted I or white I just want to do both. Yeah. yeah. I want the cool male turkey walking around for Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's all that I want. I want I want to have our farm have a an old-fashioned yeah. turkey on Every it. Every farm book you've ever read as a kid has a big turkey yes. walking around. And I saw one at a farm, and I, it was the coolest. It was huge. It was so cool looking. So we got to get one of those somehow for next year, too, um, for this May. I guess it's, gosh, it's coming up. Spring is coming so quickly. It's going to get crazy. But, um, yeah, so we want to have a heritage bird and then some, some meat birds, but we will do this again. I did some reading on turkeys, um, industrialized turkeys, and it's just as... It seems to me to be just as horrific as the chicken situation. Just tons of turkeys piled together uh, with missing beaks and, and talons because they're killing each other. They're in these really bad conditions. I, right, I read so one we article. saw this. This is incredible, right? We had too many birds for a while. We mm-hmm. were overstocked in our coop. So we have a 10 by 10 coop, and we were up to 43 birds in there, right. which they're only in there in you know when they're roosting or laying, but it was, it was too many, and it right. was... It was, there was too much poop, you know, it was mm-hmm. like kind of getting gross. And then I noticed something we never saw before that the hens were fighting each other. Right. Like they were straight up, you know, using their talons and running into each other. Yeah. And the turkeys were getting really big and they were as big as like three chickens. Yeah. So they would roost and knock the other chickens off. And right. The the behavior so so then some of the chickens were roosting on top of the nesting boxes yeah, like it was not like good. this is not the way chickens are supposed to be right so that was just our little experience of a month of having too yeah, many chickens it was never our intention to have that many chickens it just we got the new ones and we intended to butcher the old ones and then it just took longer than we right. thought it would take but when you put thousands literally thousands of these birds right. in a huge hen house right packed together at way too big of a density. They fight each other. This yeah. is a lot of Ugh. fighting that goes on. So the pictures that you look, if you look up industrialized turkeys, I mean, the chickens, the, the pictures that you see are just, you know, you buy it at the store and you don't think about it. You put it, you just want to cook a nice turkey, but you wouldn't go there and say, oh, I want to eat that bird. I would never want to eat a bird that looked, you know, yeah. that had like missing 
looked mutilated. So, you know, it's just really important to know where your food is coming from. Right. However bad you think it is, it's that bad or worse. But I did, I I read an article on why it's so hard to get pasture-raised turkeys. And again, when we say pasture-raised, that's what we mean outside, eating greens on the pasture, not not free range. That means something completely different. But pasture-raised turkeys are very hard to get um, just because they, we saw they, they, they're flighty. They fly away. They, they're prone to predators. They, and the farmer has to make a profit. I mean, he's got to provide for, he or she has to provide for, you know, make a living. So, um, a, a pasture-raised turkey can be up to like a hundred, hundred fifty dollars because of all the, the work and the, and the money that goes into these birds. So, you know, that's not really affordable for most people, but I think it's worth it to have a, a, a healthy bird. And it's great that we raise it ourselves. I mean, that right. what did it cost us to raise it? I mean, hardly anything. Well, the feed. I mean, you're paying for the feed. Right. And whatever the initial turkey was, I think they're like seven or eight bucks right. in the store. They're more than a little chick, uh, chicken. Right. But, and they ours did fly a good amount, but they always came right back. Right. I mean, that's close. how we did it. That's how we... They got attached to the chickens. That was their flock, so they weren't flying away. Right. They could. Like, they're big-time flyers. They could fly away easily. And they're beautiful when they fly, too. They are. And it's incredible. So I grabbed that one, and it's trying to fly away while I was holding onto its feet. And, like, it was incredible the amount of pull that it had. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's like... I could run really fast if I ran with the turkey flying. Yeah, powerful animal. Yeah. So anyway, it was just so. It's again, it's rewarding. It's it's beautiful. It's clean to have your own turkey. So anyway, when Pete clean, Pete and Trevor cleaned the birds, I would go down to the barn and I would take the birds up to the kitchen and I would kind of wash them off and get any extra feathers that were left on there off the bird and everything, and then I would put it in a plastic bag. I got a lot of like two gallon bags and then I put it in the fridge and you want to let the bird rest for like 24 to 48 hours. Right. Typically. And the, that just kind of helps. It has a lot of adrenaline in its body. It helps it just kind of, it would be a lot more tough if you didn't let it rest. So you want to let it rest first. Um, and again, the chickens we're mainly using for bone broth. So we're not too, too concerned about the meat. So bone broth is just really awesome. I'm really excited about bone broth. So I'm going to talk about that today. It is so good for you. So when you think about being sick or people being sick, you think, oh, chicken soup or chicken noodle soup. And that's because back in the olden days, people would make broth and broth is a really just healing, good for you type of food. And now we get it in the grocery store. And a lot of times I don't think that has very much nutritional right. content at well, all. Well, generally it's broth. on a shelf. Yeah. It's made from one of these chickens that came out of an industrialized system. So the chicken's not going to be able to give you nutrition that it never had in the first place. Right. And then it's, you know, put on a shelf and Who knows? Uh, yeah. different additives can be added to it. And right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, so making bone broth is really easy and really simple, and it is just so good for you. It has a lot of minerals in it, like calcium, magnesium, a lot of collagen, which is good for your hair and your skin and your nails. It's good for the gut. It's good for the immune system. And it's just something, I mean, you can read, apparently it's just like this really just all around great food. Apparently it helps with allergies. I mean, again, I'm not a doctor, but it it does seem to have a lot of really good properties to it. So what you do with broth is, so Pete would bring up the chickens and I typically, so I love the Instant Pot. Have I talked about the Instant Pot in the... I don't know. I mean, I got it before it was cool. Like right now it's really super... I got it like three years ago and I only used it for broth and yogurt. Those were the only two things. But now it's like this... 
you can make everything in the Instapod. It's it's amazing, but I it's it's a awesome. I mean, there are a couple, we're minimalists, so we don't have a ton of things in our kitchen. We actually tore out a ton of our cabinets because they were just taking up space and we don't have that much stuff. But there are a few kitchen items that are just key and the Instant Pot is one of them. So Pete brought up the birds to me and I typically let them rest, but one, a couple of them, I just, one of them, I just threw in the Instant Pot and just got it going right away. So I put it in the Instant Pot for like a half an hour or so and cooked it. And then when it came out, you pull the meat off of it. And then again, you can do this, you cook the meat any way that you want. So if you have a nice chicken to go in the oven, you can cook it whatever way you would normally cook it. And then when you have that chicken carcass, those bones, you just save the bones. So you cook it however you want, however you would normally cook chicken. Then you put the bones in your pot. So you can use, you can use a pot over the stove or you can use a, a crock pot. The instant pot I think is just the best way to do it. Cause I feel like it's really safe. So I have a fear of, of fires. <laughs> it's the best way to do it compared to a crock pot. If you live in our house. <laughs> yeah. Well I, so the crock pot to me, I didn't fully trust that it wouldn't start a fire. It was always fine. We never had a crock pot fire, but I just was yeah. always like, you never know spontaneous crock pot fires. I don't know. It just felt feel like they could happen. It felt like I didn't want to just trust it for 24 hours because broth you want it to simmer for 24 hours so we would go to bed and i'd be like this was at our old house so our the kitchen was downstairs our bedroom was upstairs and Kristen didn't want to leave the the slow cooker going all night which which i was good with i was yeah. okay i see you know, it's, it's just like, a slow it's cooker it'd be fine but i was like it might start a fire i don't right. know what if it starts a fire and she's like i won't be able to fall asleep <laughs> Can you bring it up to our bedroom? I was like, really? <laughs> so, so it's chicken bones filled to the brim with water, and then you can add whatever you want to that. You can add like onions or some, or whatever. So, I'm I'm carrying this slow cooker full of liquid, <laughs> like really hot liquid, up the stairs, trying not to spill it, so that it can sit in our room all night. It's not really good. It's not really good to wake up in the middle of the night to like right, bone broth. Right. So when we did this for the the things you do for me are just in the awesome. pot for the first time. It was like sweet, right? This means I don't have, I don't have to carry it up the stairs, right? Yeah, so. this could be in my head. So I mean, don't like quote me on this, but I just have a feeling that the Instapot feels safer to me. I don't know. It just feels like it has a lot more safety mechanisms. Again, we've yeah. never had a crockpot fire, so I'm not saying that crockpots start fires. I just felt safer with the Instapot. Yeah, literally you know? whatever helps you sleep. At and night. you certainly wouldn't want to leave your stovetop going for 24 hours. I mean, if you're me, that would never. I couldn't. That would never fly. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do that yeah. either. So <clears throat> anyway, bone broth. You want it to simmer for for 24 hours. I love the instant pot and I don't make Pete care of the instant pot upstairs. So, yeah. so I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. It was really nice though to wake up in the middle of the night to bone broth smell. It just smelled so good. It's, oh, it, it makes your whole house smell good. So what you're going to do anyway, sorry, back to it. You take your, your pot and then you take all the bones and you put them in the pot and then you fill it up with water. So I do about a gallon. I just do a chicken carcass and I, I, um, I fill it up with water and then you can add, if you can add onions or carrots, I mean, you can, there's a, you, you know, you can Google anything nowadays. There's a lot of different recipes. I like things to be as simple as possible. So I'm not going to run off to the store. I like to make bone broth regularly. If I don't have carrots or onions, the bone broth tastes just fine with just the bones. Yeah. I don't add salt. I don't add anything like that. So if I have a carrot or if I have some onions on hand, I'll rough chop it and throw it in there, but you don't have to. And um, so you put water in there and then you put about two tablespoons of vinegar and you let that sit for like a half an hour. And apparently the vinegar pulls out a lot more of your, 
you know, minerals or calcium, you know, whatever. So you let that sit for half an hour. Then you turn it on slow cook. You just let it go for 24 hours. And then you have this just incredible broth. And so one of the kitchen, one of my kitchen gadgets that I love, what would you call my, is that like a skimmer, the skimmer thing that I have? Yeah, skimmer. So I take a big glass mason jar, like a gallon, and then I put a skimmer over top of it. And then I just scoop out all so just- the... Thin wire mesh, basically. Some kind of like strainer. So I just scoop out the broth, put it in a gallon, a gallon jar, and you're not going to. You want to just um, strain it, so you don't want to keep all the like floaties or the bones or chicken pieces or vegetables. So you just strain that out, put it in your gallon jar, and then it keeps for about five days. And then I freeze if we haven't gone through it in like five days. I'll freeze the rest, and um, I'm going to talk about my big thing that I did this time, which is chicken feet. And chicken feet apparently are like, they are like, one thing I read said that it was like bone broth on steroids. It just adds a lot of collagen. The chicken feet just have, they add a lot to your broth to make it into that gelatin, which is really good for you. Right. So this is another one. This is like way outside of, of suburban people comfort level. Right. Right. You know, so, we, we will literally eat meat off of a chicken's leg and right. that's normal. Right. But then you say chicken feet and it's like, what? That's so strange. It looks like a chicken foot. And right. how would you ever do anything with that? It's so weird. Yes. So it was, it felt that way for us too. So when Pete was harvesting the, the chickens and turkeys with Trevor, I would go down there, carry thing up and I would carry the chicken feet up too. So what you do with the chicken feet is you get a big pot or a pot of boiling water and you put all the chicken feet in them and kind of scald them and you you want to clean them off too first because they might have a lot of dirt in their in their feet and um the first time I did it which was last week with the first six chickens I was like oh my gosh this is disgusting like I'm kind of I was surprised at how how disgusted I was like the chicken didn't bother me because I guess I'm just used to buying a chicken from the store I'm used to I'm used to chicken but this was like wow, this is gross. Like, this is like a hand. I'm like just working with this hand. So you boil it and then when it's for about 10 minutes and then you put it in cold water. And then what you want to do is the skin peels off and it peels off kind of like a snake skin. Yeah. So you take a knife. And it did. It had kind of a little bit of an off-putting smell to it. Yes. And first I tried to use gloves, but gloves didn't really work very well because I couldn't really, you need to really be able to pinch it and kind of peel it. Um, and you're, and you're taking the skin off and then it becomes a more of a clean foot. Right. (laughs) And, um, Anyway, I'm I'm doing it and I'm like getting chicken skin in my fingernails and I was like, wow, this, I don't like this. This is gross. <laughs> like, and then and then you cut the fingernails off and I, I did see one recipe that said they they could you can keep them but the one recipe I had said to cut them off so I'm cutting them off and it's like flying the chicken fingernails are kind of some of them are flying <laughs> like you would do with your own you know fingernail they kind of like fly off a little bit and I was like, wow, this is so weird and gross. I don't think I like this. And, and then, so then after I peel them all, well, after you um, peel them and everything, they just, you can use them at, in the chicken broth and it just helps out the chicken broth. So I did two um, and then I froze them in twos so I could use them whenever I, we, we're keeping them all in the freezer. And then as we need broth, we'll take them out and use them for broth. So we're going to have broth like all through the winter and before we start getting our vegetables and everything. Right. Um, so so that was a really gross experience for me. But then the second time around, the second weekend that I did it, I was like, you know what? This isn't so bad. I, I used a knife to kind of scrape off the skin, and then it just kind of peeled off just like a, like I said, like a snake. But then yesterday for the first time, I did the turkey feet. And I kind of assumed the turkey feet were going to be the same, and it was not. 
it was like so much grosser. So you do the same thing with turkey feet. You yeah. boil the turkey feet, then you put it in cold water, and then you the skin comes off, but it, it was just tougher, and the the under the skin was a little bit more mushy. It was just a tougher thing to do. Yeah. It was a, a harder process. And then Trevor and Pete come up, and I'm like kind of grossed out. I mean, the chicken feet at that point didn't bother me. I just got those done. I knocked those out. The, and then the turkey feet, I was like, this just is gross. And then Trevor looks at it, and he's like, that looks just like... When the skin was peeled off, he was like, that looks just like an alien hand. And he said that as I'm doing it, and I look at it, and oh my goodness, like, the, I've realized all the alien movies that they make, they were fashioning them after chicken hand, turkey hands. It was the exact same thing, like this yeah. clear skin and kind of veiny and dented. Yeah, super Like gross. a couple fingers, and I was like, why did you say that? Like, I can't, now I can't do this anymore like it really felt like I was holding an alien hand and it was just disgusting like it was the chicken feet were not like that the turkey feet was some other level of alien thing like the chicken feet it felt like first it was like I feel like I'm working with a dinosaur hand this is but the other one was an alien hand and um (laughs) so I just stopped and I had been I I was hardcore I did a lot and I just after he said that and I'm holding it and I'm looking at the like veininess and I was like you know what I'm going to just freeze them and do this later. And then the guys were like, we'll help you, we'll help you. And then we just kind of knocked it out. And like, we have a big sink, so we just knocked it out. But it was alien, very yeah. alienish. But I'm yeah. glad we got it done. So now they're in the freezer, so I can just, when I'm ready to make broth, I'll just pop them out, put them in the, in the slow cooker and do that for 24 hours and um, have this just, we, we're always looking for good nutrition in the winter because in the summer we can just walk out and grab a tomato, grab a cucumber, or grab a sweet potato leaf, you know, and get so much, so many good vitamins and minerals. And yep. we're yep. looking for that in the winter. And one great way to get it is bone broth. So. Right. So a couple of things we've noticed about, because we've been making bone broth for a while now, long before we had our own chickens. And mm-hmm. so when we would make bone broth, we would get just a, a roaster chicken from the store. We would cook it up and then we would take all the bones and make bone broth. And when you pulled the bones out, they were very brittle. Like clearly Mm -hmm. a lot of what was in the bone had come out. It was just brittle. And so the bones would break easily. Notice that. And then the bone broth looked like a normal bone broth color. And so it was delicious and it was amazing. And we absolutely recommend that. Now, when we use our chickens, you pull the bones out and the bones are still really strong. Right. Like clearly these bones are way more mature and strong and sturdy than whatever the chicken was we were getting in the store, which makes sense. It's an older bird, but it also has a lot more nutrition in its its whole life. Right. And then the bone broth that you make from it is this deep, dark color. It's a completely different color. Right. than the bone broth we were getting from the store. So just judging by those two things, it's definitely a more quality product. It's got a lot more in it. Right. Uh, and when I did color. add the, so. when I, I, I've already added the chicken feet uh, twice, there's a lot more gelatin to it. It becomes more gelled with the chicken feet. And that has, that's a right, lot and that's of one of the things that's really good, good for, for you, you. The gelatin. It's the real mm-hmm. gelatin. Right. So right. it's delicious. We feel like we are able to make some of the best bone broth in the world. Right. Yes, and I heat it, and I don't even, and sometimes I don't even add extra things, but I'm, I'm sure it is a lot more flavorful when you add carrots and onions and, and such, but we heat it up, we keep it in the fridge, and then when we go to use it, we just put it over the stove and recook it. We don't have a microwave, so um, we actually got rid of our microwave when we started to do some research on microwaves, but anyway, we won't go into Whole that. Whole different topic. Yeah, we won't go into that, but we do, tor- we do pour the, um, <laughs> just pour it into a little pot and heat it back up, and it's just, it's a great you know, drink to have in the winter. 
I think in our last chicken episode, we talked about wanting to have a lot of different kinds of chickens. It's just really pretty to see all these different varieties out there. And we get a feel for the ones that we like more than the others. They have some, you know, a little bit of difference to them. But the problem was, is that we want to then be cycling about half our flock through every year. And it became very hard to know which ones were older and which ones were younger. Mm-hmm. I could tell the ones that were from this year, they were clearly a little bit smaller still. So that was easy to tell. They're just starting to lay eggs now, but they're still smaller. But the ones that we had gotten in years one and two, I couldn't really distinguish between them very well. So what we're going to start doing from now on is still getting different breeds, but probably getting three breeds and then the next year alternate to three different breeds and mm-hmm. then, you know, alternate back to those. So mm-hmm. I think we've identified, you know, probably about six or so breeds that are our favorite. So we're going to mm-hmm. stick with those. So we'll have six different breeds, but we'll just alternate back and forth. And then it should be really easy to right. know when it's time to process them, which are the ones that are really old and which ones aren't. And, right, because you know, that was a little nerve wracking. Like, are we killing the younger one? Like, right. we just, it would be nice to say, okay, this year it's Bard Rocks and Rhode Island Reds. Pick out all those ones and right. and then get those new. So it, it'll be a great system if that. Yeah, makes if you sense. have a really small flock, it's probably not a big deal because you'll be able to know. Right. But we had like forty birds, right. and there's no way I could tell. Yeah, and again, we never wanted forty birds. It was that just that. Well, there was just overlap. There was over longer overlap than we had wanted, and you right. start to Plus see the turkeys. You start so. to see what happens when you over you have too many um, animals. That, that is, you can have too many animals. Right. All right, I think that's it for today. And I know that sounds like really intimidating and you might think I could never do that. But, you know, it's not as hard as you may think. It just takes some practice like everything in life takes practice. Yeah, and most things, once you do them once or twice, they seem a lot more normal than if you've never done them before. Right, That's right. been my experience. Right, and it is so, it's just so worth it, and it's so rewarding. And our turkeys are actually resting because we just harvested them yesterday. So next time, we'll let you know how they taste because I would love to know what a pasture, I've never had a pasture-raised turkey before. Yeah, pasture-raised heritage bird. Yeah, so we'll let you know. We'll be, we'll be honest and let you know how it, how it tastes. <laughs> um, and... Again, thank you for all of your emails, and we're really sorry that we're kind of behind on emails. I've had so many, so many emails asking for our bread recipe, and I just haven't had the time to just sit down and answer emails, so I think we're going to try to put that online. Yeah, we'll put it on our website, homesteadstory.com, Yes, and we'll put it there so then we can just reference that. And again, yeah, thanks to anyone who's emailed us. It it is such a huge encouragement when we hear from people. We um, read all the emails. We don't always have the time to get back to all the emails, but we're... Well, yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> thank you. Our email is homesteadstory at gmail.com. Uh, if you have a question or just something you want to say, it's fun to hear from people about what their homestead is. And yes. we've had a couple of people send us a picture. It's really neat to, to see from people, you know, yes. that we're connecting with a little right. bit. Right. Yeah. So thank you. And um, we'll see you and talk to you next time. All right. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.